0: You're listening to the Touch'em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double Eleven. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about all of the recent UFC fight announcements, including additions to UFC 256 with the falling out of its previous Bantamweight title main event, the huge UFC fight night on December 19th, taking place from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada, as well as the return of the notorious Conor McGregor and much, much more. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step. Into the ring. All right, guys. how's everybody doing tonight? Um, I hope you guys are having a good day, night, whatever time you're deciding to listen, in, listen to this podcast. Um this is gonna be a really fun one today, I think. Um, I haven't talked a lot about recent fight announcements. Um, I didn't do it on the last podcast. I might have mentioned a few of these that I'm gonna talk about today, but I'm gonna try to give like a somewhat in-depth analysis on some of these fights, especially the fights taking place on December 19th. I think that is one of the best cards of the year. It might be the card of the year um, from top to bottom. I I definitely believe that is your card of the year. And there's some big fight announcements for UFC 257. Obviously the return of the notorious Conor McGregor going up against top contender Dustin, the diamond Poirier in a rematch from UFC 178 in uh, September of 2014. So almost so over six years, since their first matchup, um, Poirier has come a long way in his career. Really sharpened up his boxing, his defense, his combination striking, his movement. Everything is different from Dustin Poirier. Um, he, a lot of, a lot more with the switch stances. A lot more with um, hooking off the jab and you know m- mixing up his combinations. And Conor McGregor, you know, I wouldn't say he is much of a different fighter. He's kind of been the same guy his whole career but um uh, well i guess you know he changed it up after his first loss to Nate Diaz at UFC 196 you know he became a much better version of himself by incorporating low kicks and uh getting back to how he used to fight when he started in his career light on the feet in and out movement um timing the combinations with the 1 2 landing that teep kick and front snap kick to the body up the middle um using the pull counters you know pulling back and countering off the power shot of the opponent or pulling and countering off the jab like he did against Eddie Alvarez and darting in and just controlling the distance and measuring. Um, After that Nate Diaz fight, he definitely – became a better version of himself. You saw in the fight against Cowboy Cerrone in his return at UFC 246 that he incorporated those shoulder strikes in the clinch, um, the over-under position in the clinch. He would lower his level really low and then come up with those shoulder strikes to the jaw of uh, into the nose of Donald Cerrone. And then he actually finished off Cerrone with one of Cerrone's own signature moves, which was that left high kick. Um, set it up, fake the straight left hand, um, Set it up behind the straight left and landed that left high kick. Dropped him and jumped on him for the TKO in the first round. Um, Connor's good, man, and, and I'm really excited to see him back. Now, will he look much different? The the one who I think is going to look the most improved between McGregor and Poirier is going to be Dustin Poirier. That's not to say I don't think Conor McGregor beats Poirier because I think he has a very good shot at knocking him out. I don't think it he would win a decision. I don't think it goes five rounds either way. Um, but I do see Connor pulling that one out. I just think that all right, here here's the here's the here's the real option, or not the real option, but here's like the real story behind this fight. So yes, Poirier's improved, but it's still a fight that he's gonna be able to win or gonna try to win on the feet. And can he catch Connor? I think that the switch stance combinations can catch Connor McGregor. Um, But I also think that since Poirier is going to use that double jab, fake the disguise, the step forward into Orthodox to land the overhand, right with that straight left. So he'll double jab with the right hand touch, touch. With the left, uh, with the left step forward and come over the top with the right hand. I think that he winds up and uh, telegraphs his loading of the hip to come over the top a little bit too much for Connor. And the fact that Connor has such a wide stance and he keeps it really long, he's gonna see, um, Poirier disguise that switch step, um, the switch step to come in and he's gonna pop back and then bomb and then come back right into range with that left hand, kind of like what he did against Eddie Alvarez. I see a Connor McGregor coming into this fight and using an approach very similar to the Eddie Alvarez fight. And uh, you know, when you look at Dustin Poirier, Poirier fought Eddie Alvarez twice. Um, The first fight was a no contest. The second fight was a a stoppage victory for Poirier, but you know, Poirier caught um, Eddie Alvarez loading up um, shoulder rolled. The shot came back and landed his own straight left down the center. And I think Connor has the ability to do, somewhat of a similar destruction to Poirier. Not to say I don't think Poirier can win. I think if Poirier tries to push Connor up against the cage and work in the clinch and try to tire him out and uh, get some takedowns, I think he can get, um, it can be a very close fight. I do think Poirier has a shot. I don't think that Con, that there's no way Dustin Poirier can win. I think that that would be extremely irrelevant and irresponsible of me to say that Poirier can't beat a guy like like McGregor, I think Poirier has made, like I said, I think he's definitely the more improved fighter, but I still think that Connor was so far above everybody in the striking realm at 155 pounds that I think he definitely is going to beat Dustin Poirier to the punch. I think his shots Are straighter. I think that Poirier winds up when he gets tired. Um, I do think it it takes a lot for Poirier to get tired, but he does get drawn into wars. A lot of Poirier's fights, although he wins them, are wars. You know, he likes to go to war. And if you go to war with Conor McGregor, based on how accurate his striking is, you're going to get caught every time. Nobody's going to win in a war with Conor McGregor unless you take all of his best shots and get them tired, and then you push the pacing, drag him into deep waters. I do think that's poor. what Poirier's game plan is going to be. I also think that since the fight originally was at 145 pounds, when McGregor and Poirier fought the first time, they were originally scheduled. They were actually – well, no, not originally scheduled, but oh, – well, yeah, I guess. It was originally scheduled at 145 pounds. Now it's at 155. Now you have to take into consideration – not only was Dustin completely dehydrated and, and and deteriorating, so was McGregor. They were both at the lowest possible weight class they could be. Dustin says he's so big he could definitely make 170. He's got a big, thick back, um, big, just a wide individual. He's got a lot more power in his shots at 155 than he did at 145. Um, if he lands on the chin of Conor, I do think he can hurt him. And uh, but the problem is getting to the chin. Can you get to his chin? And Connor's such a master of managing range and controlling the distance, whether he uses that front kick to the body, faking and feigning, um, getting Poirier to kind of kind of telegraph his shots coming in, stepping back and pull countering with the left hand. Connor's got one of the best pull counters in the sport. You saw it used very well against Eddie Alvarez. Um, you saw him. Use it, try to use it against Khabib, but it didn't seem to work too well because he was tired out from a lot of the wrestling. But then you look at Conor McGregor's performance against Khabib, and although he got dominated, out of everybody Khabib has fought, he is one of the best performances in recent memory against Khabib. He stuffed some of his takedowns, he landed some shots on the feet against um, Khabib. Now, Habib definitely won the fight. There's no way you could sit there and tell me that Habib didn't win or that Conor won. I mean, obviously, obviously, you know, Khabib finished McGregor. But what I mean by saying you can't tell me that Khabib didn't win is that Conor did put up a good fight. He stuffed some of the takedowns, got back to the center of the cage. He landed that front kick, stabbing front kick to the body a lot on Khabib. That was a weapon that he used very, very well. Now, Poirier tried to implement that in his fight at UFC two forty two. But Habib was smart to it, and he used that sweeping defense where you catch the heel with the with uh, your palm and you sweep it across the body to avoid the shot. And then usually you can throw that and come back with a counter hook as you throw that foot to the side. You catch the teep, you throw it, you come back, plant on your feet, and uh, you you so you you catch the kick, you push it across to your left side. You load up and come back with the hook on that same side because their defense is open because you're throwing them towards that hook, so it's going to add to the power and add to the momentum. Um, I do think that Poirier can implement his grappling. Um, like I said, try to get Connor up against the cage, um, land some good knees in the clinch, land some knees to the inside of the thigh, and just try to work Connor over. And you know, but don't get drawn into a firefight. If he gets into a firefight with Connor, Connor's going to smoke him. And uh, I still think Connor wins this fight. I think Connor definitely has a road back to the title at 155 now that Habib's gone. Um, if I was going to pick the next fights to get made, um, Chan- Michael Chandler says he has a fight coming up. And uh, I think it's going to be against Justin Gaethje. Um, I think it's at UFC 257 most likely that's when it's going to be. So it's probably going to be Connor versus Dustin, and then um, Michael Chandler versus Dan Hooker, or uh, Justin Gaethje. That's what I think they're going to do. Um, Dan Hooker's kind of on the outside looking in. I think Dan Hooker gets the winner of Charles Oliveira and uh, Tony Ferguson, which takes place at UFC 256 on December 12th, so we'll definitely be talking about that. Um, yeah, but I figured we'd start it off with talking a little bit about the return of Conor McGregor. I believe I covered it uh, one of the previous episodes, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about the technical side of that fight. Obviously, I'll have better predictions when the fight gets closer, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, let's talk about um, UFC 255 results. Davison Figueiredo submits Alex Perez via guillotine choke in the first round to retain his uh, flyweight championship. I picked Alex Perez. I thought he was going to be able to drag... Um, Davis and Figueiredo into deep water and uh, eventually overwork him with the wrestling and uh, the combination striking on the feet. Didn't go anywhere close to that. Um, Perez ended up shooting. uh, I believe it was a head on the inside single. um, And, uh, you know, Figueiredo, he tried to elevate the leg, um, get the single leg, hike it up and, and trip him. Figueiredo kept his balance. He used his balance to then scissor sweep um, Alex Perez, I, I wouldn't call it a sweep, but he did a scissors takedown into a leg lock. So he jumped up, um, swung his hips out and then swung them back in and hooked the leg of Alex Perez. Perez defended the leg lock and went to get a body lock on, uh, Alex Perez or er, on a uh, and take his back. But Figueiredo caught his head. As he went to take the back and uh, he turned right into the guillotine. And uh, once he locked up that guillotine choke, it was over. First round submission for Davison Figueiredo. First successful title defense. It's sec- Technically, to me, it's his second title defense because he beat Joseph Benavidez the first time. But he lost weight or uh, he, he missed weight so he couldn't win the title. But... In my opinion, that's his second defense, and he's already coming back at UFC 256 against somebody who also fought on this card, but we'll uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, yeah, I actually want to walk through the Davison, Figueiredo, and Alex Perez finish a little bit, so let's talk about that, if I can pull it up on YouTube. Hold on, sorry guys, give me one second. Yeah, it should be, here we go, I got the highlights right here, if it's actually, okay, yeah, yeah, so, the fight starts out, um, Figueiredo obviously keeping that wide stance, Perez trying to use a lot of head movement, dipping off to the side, Figueiredo just catching the distance or uh, t- timing it, catching the distance. Perez tries to come in with a combination. It doesn't work. Figueiredo keeps leaning over to that left side to sell the right hand, and then he'll switch to southpaw, touch the lead hand and probably go with a body kick. I believe he goes with a body kick. Um, Perez tries to attack inside low and go to the body, but he lands the inside low kick and then Figueiredo blocks, checks the body kick. So here's what happened. Um, Alex Perez, shoots that head on the inside single, gets to the outside like on an angle from Davison Figueiredo. He has the underhook on uh, Figueiredo's left side, and he's got the left arm of his his left arm underneath the foot of Figueiredo. So he's lifting the leg up, hiking it up to try to trip out the balance of Figueiredo. What Figueiredo does is he backs up, hops on his foot, and then he slightly ducks down towards the ground, and he's going to kick up that lead, or he's going to kick up the base leg that's on the ground. He's going to kick it up and dive for the leg. He sweeps it in. He, uh, he dives for the leg. Here, let me walk you through it again. So he's got that single leg. And uh, that underhook. That underhook is going to help Figueiredo to direct Alex Perez into that leg lock. It's going to control his bicep, control his arms. And it's going to allow him to get his hips in a little bit more on the leg because he's controlling the limb of Alex Perez. So it's going to keep him close to Perez when he jumps for this leg lock. So he jumps up. He bases on the floor with his right arm before he, as he jumps to then swing his hips back in And get that foot, the leg lock. So now he's on the leg. Perez goes to finally scramble out of the leg lock. And he hooks the back of, um, he has like half guard almost. But Perez's knee is on the outside of the lead leg of Figueiredo. He goes to turn in, or goes to take the back, but he turns back in to Figueiredo. Figueiredo uses that left arm to reach around the head as Perez tries to get the back and he, he swings that garden and uh, gets that guillotine choke right away. And it looks like Perez is going to slip out. He doesn't, he goes to stand up and he gets the submission. Um, that was just a quick breakdown of the Figueiredo versus Alex Perez fight. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, yeah, but he, he defends and now he's going on to face, uh, Brandon Moreno, who defeated Brandon Royval after a freak injury? I believe it was a sloppy takedown from Moreno. Um, Royval's shoulder pops out. He he taps, and uh, the fight's over. And then they obviously popped his shoulder back in. Royval will be back soon. Uh, it's not a bad injury, so he's definitely going to be coming back. But uh, it kind of sucks for Brandon Royval because I thought that fight was going to be very good, and uh, it got. It got cut short due to injury, but Moreno gets the job done. I believe he's 6'17 and 5 now as a professional uh, mixed martial artist. And uh, he's fighting the god of war, Deus de Guerra, Davis and Figueiredo in the main event of UFC 256. Um, Valentina Shevchenko defeats Jennifer Maya via unanimous decision. Um, Good distance control from Valentina. This is probably the worst she's looked in her UFC career aside from some of the Amanda Nunes fights, or, uh, yeah, besides the Amanda Nunes fights, but she just didn't look herself, but she still dominated the fight. I gave the second round, I believe to Jennifer Maya. She used some good grappling, was able to take down Valentina Shevchenko and uh, overpower her in like the, the body lock position and get her on the ground, um, landed some good shots, but eventually, um, the grappling and the strength of Valentina Shevchenko was just too much. She overpowered her. Every time um Jennifer Maya would get in close after that, she would body lock and then uh, pull her in and get the outside trip, kick out the leg, and get on top every time. Um So, yeah, I mean, Valentina Shevchenko wins via decision. I think it was 49-46, so she did lose a round. Jennifer Maya stole a round. Um, I still picked Valentina to beat Jennifer Maya, but I told you guys she was going to show up. She was going to come in and look and at least look impressive. And I think a lot of people didn't expect her to do that. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people gave her credit for sticking in there with Valentina, not getting finished, winning around, you know, being competitive, coming forward the whole time, using that bob and weave style, trying to counter with that jab to the left hook, the left hook to the overhand right, and uh, just trying to, to bring the fight to the champion. She tried to bring the fight to Valentina the whole entire time. And she did a great job, even though she lost and got dominated, you know, everybody gets dominated by Valentina unless your name is Amanda Nunes, but arguably I thought that Valentina won the second fight against Amanda Nunes, even though it was close, but you know, it is what it is. I expect Valentina and Amanda Nunes to get matched up again. I think they definitely will, uh, they definitely will have another fight in the future. I think that Valentina and Amanda may face each other and then one or both of them could retire. I see Amanda Nunes retiring very soon. I don't think she sticks around for much longer. So I think give her a big fight. I think um, a fight between Wei Li Zhang and Valentina Shevchenko is an amazing fight. I think that Valentina... I think uh, Wei Li is more than likely going to be fighting Thug Rose next. Um, I'm very excited. As you guys know, I'm a huge fan of Thug Rose Nam Yunus So that's definitely not a problem for me. Um, but yeah, I mean... Tim Means, we'll go to the next fight because, you know, there's not much to talk about in Valentina and Jennifer Maya. Um, Tim Means defeats Mike Perry via unanimous decision. Crazy last minute of the third round. They were both just slinging. But uh, like I said, um, Mike Perry doesn't do well against guys who are very technical and sharp and measured in the striking. And I think a lot of people pick Mike Perry because of his name. They pick Mike Perry because they've seen that he's done He's had some crazy knockouts. He hits very hard. I mean, just look at his knockout over Jake Ellenberger where he broke out of the clinch with that elbow and uh, looked like he killed poor Jake Ellenberger, but he didn't, obviously. But, you know, and then when he came into the UFC, he got that brutal knockout in his debut. Um, He had a great fight against Vicente Luque to date. I think that's his best performance. I think Mike Perry can do well in the UFC. Do I think he can be a top contender? No. No. I don't think so. I think there's too many tech, really technical guys at the top of 100, at the 170-pound division. Um, but Tim Means just did exactly what we thought he was going to do. He was constantly landing that straight left hand, landing that right uppercut to the body, the left uppercut to the body, chopping the inside and outside low kicks, constantly moving off towards the weak side of Mike Perry to negate the power shot. And the jab of Tim Means was constantly just pop, 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 slip, pop, slip. Bop, high kick, pop, inside low kick, pop, 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 pop. One, two, one, two, pop, pop. Keeping him away with that jab. Mike Perry has a very hard time getting away from jabs. And uh, I think you saw that in this fight. Tim Means wins via unanimous decision. I think it was 30 27 on all all the scorecards. So big win for the dirty bird. I don't know where Mike Perry goes from here. I think he does some reevaluating. Maybe get some new coaches and uh and and really works on his game and we don't see him back for a little while. I think he takes some time off and uh, looks to improve his game and get a little bit more technical. I love Mike Perry. I, I always have. He's always a guy I'm going to tune in to see fight. He doesn't quit. He brings the fight every time, but you know, sometimes it's uh, you're just outmatched And against Tim means he was outmatched. Technically um, the range, the distance, the jab, everything was working in Tim means favor. Caitlin Chukagian defeated Cynthia Calvillo via unanimous decision. Pretty much exactly how I thought the fight was going to go. Now, I'm not meaning to toot my own horn here, but I just, you know, I never was that impressed with Cynthia Calvillo. She wins a lot of her fights by decision. She's kind of a one, two, three shot fighter. She doesn't put together combinations. She's just kind of bop, 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 bop. It's kind of just like touch, touch, bah, bah, move, ba, move, inside, outside, low kick, boom, boom. She's just touching you. It's not very powerful shots. It's a lot of touching. Um, the best weapon she had against Caitlin Chukagian, if I remember correctly, was her left hook. She was landing the left hook over the jab of Caitlin Chukagian a lot. Her left hook looked very, very good. I thought that was probably one of the cleanest punches I've ever seen Calvillo throw. Um, but she just, again, got outmatched on the feet. Uh Kelvy or uh, Chukagian using her distance, keeping her away, using those kicks to stop uh, Kelvio from coming in. Bop, 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 kick, bop, one, two, one, two, and just constantly uh, picking her apart. And she gets the decision. You know, Caitlyn Chukagian's in kind of a tough spot. They try to keep bringing these new contenders up to get a title shot. And um, aside from Jessica Andraj, who uh, is most likely going to be next for Valentina, you know, she's all, she seems to be the gatekeeper. At the top, I wouldn't even call her a gatekeeper, but she's the girl you have to get past to get a title shot at 125 pounds. Um, She's beaten the likes of Joanne Calderwood. She just beat Cynthia Calvillo. She lost to Jessica Andrade. Um, She beat Jennifer Maya at UFC 244, if you guys didn't know that. So... You know, Caitlin Chukagian is the girl at the top of the division, but I don't think she's ever going to get that title. As long as Valentina Shevchenko's the champion, I don't see anybody getting that title at 125. And if she becomes the champion at 135 pounds, I still don't see anybody beating her. I think Valentina's in a league of her own. Um, she did show some kinks in her armor, like I said, against Jennifer Maya, getting controlled up against the cage. You want to keep Valentina up against the cage, keep her in close, and uh, try to rough her up in the clinch and, and use some grappling. But if you stay at range with Valentina Shevchenko, she's going to piece you up. And even though she looked a little rusty in this fight against Maya, she still dominated the fight. So you can't really say much about that. Um, Paul Craig defeated Shogun via second round TKO, tap due to strikes. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that fight. That's exactly what I thought was going to happen. Um, I, I think I picked Paul Craig to win via a decision. I might be wrong. If I'm wrong, correct me. Um, I don't care it it's it's okay, you know, <laughs> but uh, I think I went overall on this card. I think I went six and three or six and two on my picks. So decent night, not the best, but definitely good. Um, and then the fight night this past weekend with Anthony Smith and uh, Paul Craig, I did pretty good. I think I went four, three and one. The only fight I predicted incorrectly was, um, let me see. And I actually pull it up. We'll pull it up right now. So that would be, I picked, I picked Baeza. Oh, the Parker Porter and Josh Parisian fight. Um, I said it was going to be close. It, It was a crazy fight. You know, they, they both threw a lot of volume for heavyweights. It was a pretty sloppy fight. Parker Porter was just the more technical guy. And that's what got him the job, got the job done for him. He was more technical, had the sharper strikes, Um, Better low kicks than Parisian and just using the the straight shots to beat the looping punches of Parisian. Um, Miguel Baeza defeated Takashi Sato via submission in the second round. Um, Baeza's a guy you guys got to keep your your eye on. You know, Carmel Thunder, Miguel Baeza, um, now 10-0, coming off a knockout over Matt Brown, now a second-round submission over Takashi Sato. A great performance by Baeza. Um, It's going to be interesting to see who he gets next. Um, actually, if I could predict who he's going to get, we're going to look at the rankings. We're going to look at the rankings and see who I can give to Baeza. He's probably going to get somebody right at the top 15 or right below it. So let's go with, he's a welterweight, right? Um, hmm. Anthony Pettis isn't going to take that fight. Hmm, Hold on. Let's go to a different website and we'll check because there is. Hold on. UFC. I want to go to. um, Here we go. Sorry, guys. Just give me one second. I wanna go to welterweight. Close that out. Um, let's see. So somebody outside the top 15. You could do that. I don't think they're gonna give him that one though. You could give him Huh. Huh. I don't know. That's tough because there's so many guys at 170. Um I wouldn't mind a Miguel Baeza and Nico Price fight. I mean, I know he's not in the top 15 yet, but I think that's a good fight. Miguel Baeza, Nico Price. Would anybody be would anybody not like that? Would anybody you know would anybody dispute that is what I'm trying to say. Um, I don't think so. I think Miguel Baeza versus Sean Brady, I think that's a good one. I don't think Brady's, I don't think Brady's there yet. I love Sean Brady, and I want to see the fight. He was supposed to fight Bilal Muhammad, and uh, well, actually, yeah, if he was supposed to fight Bilal, Bilal's ranked 13, so he would have gotten a top 15 guy. Um, yeah, I like that. Give me Sean Brady and Miguel ba- Miguel Baeza, and Brady's returned. Um, That's probably not going to happen because Baeza just fought. So um, if you're not going to give him Sean Brady, give him Nico Price. Yeah, give me Nico Price versus Miguel Baeza. I like that fight a lot, and I think that's a tough matchup for both guys. Um, Anthony Smith coming back with a big win over Devin Clark. Um, Not a crazy high-ranked opposition. He's not even ranked, but it's exactly what uh, Anthony Smith needed. A first-round finish. Um, I'd like to see Anthony Smith make his way back up to the title contention at 20, 205 pounds. I think he's it's possible he can do it. I think if he gets back into the mindset of finishing fights and going for it and trying to beat everybody, you know, right out the gate, I think he can do it. I love Lionheart. He's great. um, one of my favorites at two oh five um he got the victory after getting the triangle choke he turned the corner hooked the leg of Devin Clark so that Clark couldn't stack him and uh spin out of the, and uh, move his way out of the choke by hooking the leg you keep the opponent in the same position and by turning the corner it cuts off any extra space in between the neck and your thighs and uh yeah so Anthony Lionheart Smith defeats Devin Clark in the main event and uh yeah great win by Anthony Lionheart Smith there all right, so getting back on the Anthony Smith and Devin Clark. Obviously, first-round triangle choke for Anthony Lionheart Smith. A big, big win for him. He needed it badly. Um, he know he called out Paul Craig, and uh, I like that fight. I think that both of those guys are in the same position. Obviously, um, Smith has had tougher fights in his career. He's fought the best of the best. He's fought John Jones. He's fought Alexander Rockage. He's beat Alexander Gustafson. Um, he beat Shogun Hua by finish as well, so they have a little bit of history there. I think Paul Craig is a good matchup. I also think if you don't want to give him Paul Craig, I think you can give him, let's see. Well, if he was ranked 6th in the division, um, okay, let's go light heavyweight rankings. Um, Who could you give him besides Paul Craig? So he's ranked 6th. Now it says – well, it says he's ranked eighth on this website, but, you know. um Hold on. Light heavyweight. He's ranked sixth, so he'll probably go up to number five more than likely. And then I think you could give him the – you could give him Johnny Walker. I think Johnny Walker and Anthony Smith is a good fight. Um, I think he could take the Paul Craig fight more than likely. I think he beats Paul Craig. I think it's a close fight, but I think that Smith has the has the more has more experience. I think Smith uses strikes at range a little bit better than Paul Craig. I think the kicking game you give an advantage to Craig with the spinning kicks and, and the roundhouses and the front leg roundhouse kicks. But um, yeah, I think Anthony Smith versus Paul Craig isn't a bad option. And uh, if you don't give him that, I like I like Anthony Smith versus um, maybe Magomed Ankleyev. How about Ankleyev versus Anthony Smith? I really like that too. So either give him Paul Craig or give him uh, Magomed Ankliev, however you want to say his name. Um, yeah, so that's what I would do for Anthony Smith. Big win for him. All right, so uh, what was ne- What else happened on that card? Um, let's see, we'll go back to Google, and then we're going to talk about all these fight announcements because there are a lot of them to go over. Um, all right, so we talked about Baeza, we talked about Josh Parisian, and Parker Porter. Uh, oh, Bill Elgio, El Señor Perfecto. Um, really, really good performance against Spike Carlisle. The fight went exactly how I I figured it would go. I know I've said that a lot, but this is one of the few cards where my predictions actually, you know, seem to be pretty spot on, aside from a couple fights and last weekend as well. Um, Bill Elgio is phenomenal. That guy, he's constantly switching stances. He'll fake with his head and then jab you. He'll fake with his head and throw a low kick. He'll hook to get on the outside angle and throw the low kick, jab, front kick. Roundhouse kick. He's constantly faking, feinting, moving, keeping his hands really low to free to one, freeze up the opponent, and to two, make sure that it's harder for them to commit because they're biting off of your feints. And when they can't commit, you have more time to commit to your shots and your combinations. Um, let's see if I can get some highlights up for this Bill LGO. This is... Spike Carlisle fight. One thing I said was going to work very well was the knees up the middle because Carlisle keeps his head really low. um, And that's pretty much what happened. The knees up the middle were landing to the body and uh, landing to the head when Carlisle would lower his level. Carlisle constantly attacking with the outside low kick, switching stances, um, slipping inside the shots of Carlisle. And uh gotten getting hit with the outside low kick a little bit. He would touch with the low kick and then get the outside angle as Carlisle would commit with the overhand right. He would, um, he would seem to slip underneath. and uh here let me go. He would seem to slip underneath and uh, come back with his own counter shots. He's just trying to keep Carlisle away. You know, he's a long-rangey fighter, whether he's using a front leg sidekick, whether he's chopping the inside and outside low kicks to stop him from coming in, um, using spinning back kicks to the body used by disguising it with that inside low kick, going one, two, stepping outside and southpaw to land the overhand left as he switches stances, um, countering over the jab with the right hand, and then as he came comes in to shoot the takedown, you counter with that knee up the middle. That's one of uh, El Senor Perfecto's best weapons when he's up against the cage. He did get body locked and taken down by Carlisle. And then Carlisle got the hooks in on the feet um, and tried to take him down again and uh, just use his strength and to his advantage. Carlisle ended up getting taken down by LGO. LGO got caught in like a bulldog choke style position. And it looked like he was going to get the finish. Um, it looked like Carlisle was going to get the sub. He was, he was turning red. He was constantly, but he found a way to turn out, take his back, get that seatbelt position with that knee over the back of the left leg to, uh, stop him from turning in and sitting out and then using that seatbelt on with the right arm around the stomach and controlling the wrist to uh, take it away. Kind of like a Dagestani handcuff and then using that to get his hooks in and, uh, you know, El Senior Perfecto Bill Elgio is is a phenomenal competitor. I mean, he fought Ricardo Lamas to a great fight. Um, long, rangy striker, and he got the job done via unanimous decision. Just picked apart Carlisle when he would step in. He would use that knee up the middle to negate the pressure and use the pressure against him. Um, really, really, ex- I'm really excited to see where Bill Elgio goes from here. Um, if I was gonna pick his next fight, um, if we're gonna play matchmaker. Let's see. We'll go with what is Ricardo Lamas ranked? So Lamas isn't ranked right now. Um. Ooh, Bill Elgio and well, the one fight I really want. I think Dan Ige and Ryan Hall are supposed to fight. If that's not happening, I want Bryce Mitchell versus Ryan Hall. Um. Barbosa is ranked fifteenth. I don't think they're gonna give Bill Elgio. Um. Edson Barbosa. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, let's see on this other website. Let's go to rankings. We'll go to featherweight. So what I would do is for Bill Elgio, I would give him... You know what? Here's what you're going to do. At UFC 256, there's a fight between Cub Swanson and Daniel Pineda. Either give him the winner of Swanson versus Pineda or give him Andre Touchy Feely. I like Andre Feely versus um, Bill Elgio, or the winner of Swanson and Pineda. So that's what I would go. That's what I would go with. Um, really, really good fight for Bill Elgio next, without a doubt. I think he can definitely um, work his way up in that 145 uh, pound division. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, where he goes from here, but yeah, El Senor perfecto, probably my standout fighter of the night aside from, uh, Anthony Lionheart Smith. All right. Now let's talk about fight announcements. My favorite part of the podcast, when I get to talk about fights that have been announced fights that are coming up and everything in between, um, up first, we're going to go in order of fight card by, um, date. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on every single fight, but I tried to find the best fights that have been announced in the last month, three or four weeks. So let's start it out with on December 5th, which is this weekend. It was originally scheduled to be Kevin Holland versus Jack Hermanson. Holland had to pull out due to a COVID test. Then, um, they threw in Marvin Vittori to fight Jack Hermanson. Um, you know, so it was originally going to be Jack Hermanson versus Darren Till. Or Darren Till pulled out due to an injury. They threw in Kevin Holland. I loved Kevin Holland versus Jack Hermanson. I thought that was a phenomenal fight. Holland had to pull out due to a COVID test, I believe. So then they put in Marvin Vittori. Now, Vittori was originally scheduled to fight Jacare Souza at UFC 256 on December 12th, which is next weekend's card. And that's not happening anymore. So now you've got. Marvin Vittori versus Jack the Joker Hermanson, which is a great fight. I think this is a big step up for Marvin Vittori. I think Vittori deserves a step up. He had a very close fight against Israel Adesanya, um, probably Adesanya's closest fight throughout his entire career, aside from the Gastelum matchup. Um, You know, Vittori is coming off a win over, I believe Carl Roberson was his last fight. Let's see. Um, so he beat, yeah, Carl Robertson via submission in the first round. I believe he locked up a rear naked choke, if I'm not mistaken. Before that beats Andrew Sanchez, beats Cesar Ferreira. Um, loses to Israel Adesanya on April 14th, 2018. That was on the Poirier versus Gaethje card. Um, Marvin Vittori is, is a southpaw. He's a great striker. Um, really good technical striker on the feet, a good one-two, good kicks for the body, good kicks up top to the head, very patient guy on the feet, good grappling, but you do not want to get into the grappling exchanges with a guy like Jack the Joker Hermanson, whether he locks you in in that Joker team, which is that Armin Guillotine that he almost caught Jacare Souza in, um, so uh, Marvin Vittori is going to have to watch out for that. Um, don't go to the ground with Jack Hermanson. If it stays on the feet, even though Jack Hermanson is good on the feet, I do think Marvin Vittori is the better of the two, when it comes to the stand up game, I think you can keep them at range, try to keep them away, don't use so many kicks. And if you use kicks, make sure to set it up. With fakes and feints, or use that shuffle step fake and then come in with a kick to try to stop Jack Hermanson from shooting in. Work on the uppercuts a lot because the one thing Jared Cannonier was able to catch Hermanson with was that double jab to that uppercut as Hermanson changed levels. Because he's gonna go with that head on the inside single. He's gonna go with a double leg. He's gonna chain takedowns together, kind of like a Habib Nurmagomedov obviously not at the same level and not at the same styles of takedown chaining or not using the same attempts and chaining them together the exact same way, but it's kind of the same, you know, game plan. He's going to come in, try to get your back, try to get a, a rear naked choke, try to get you in that joker team, get you to turn in so he can get that arm and guillotine, put that knee across the belly and put that other foot over the back and control the hip with the heel of the foot to make sure that you can't one Um, pass over to the side of where that shin is across the belly. And two, you can't roll over to the other side to try to alleviate the pressure. And if you roll over, they can go to the top mount and go with a, a mounted guillotine choke. So um, I think that's a good fight. Um, You know, it's tough, man. Vittori is tough. He, he's a great competitor. You have to avoid the grappling at all costs, but on the feet, I do give him a a slight advantage over Jack Hermanson. Um, Yeah. So I'm excited about that fight. Um, One other fight I could see, and we're going to go back. We're backtracking a little bit with Anthony Smith. So I had said that I liked two fights. I liked the Paul Craig matchup for Anthony Smith, and I also liked the um, – what was the other one? What did I say? Uh, The loser of – hold on. Hold on a second. Okay, hold on. Let's go to light heavyweight again really quick because I got to pull. Hold on. Hush. So I uh... – all right. So back on what we were talking about with Anthony Lionheart Smith, I liked the Luke Rockhold fight. I had said Paul Craig was a good matchup for him, and I liked um... – what was it? Where was the other one? I can't remember what other guy I said. Um I liked the Paul Craig matchup and I liked the Johnny Walker. That was it. So Johnny Walker or Paul Craig, but I also like if Luke Rockhold is is trying to come back at 1 at 205. Give me Luke Rockhold versus Anthony Lionheart Smith. That was a fight they both have history. They both have wanted to fight each other. There there's a the rivalry there. Anthony Smith can't stand Luke Rockhold. I think Luke Rockhold versus Anthony Smith at 205, although Rockhold isn't ranked at 205 and Hasn't won a fight in a really long time. I think that Anthony Smith would take that fight. And I love that fight for the both of those guys. So uh, give me Luke Rockhold versus Anthony Smith. That's the fight I'm going to take. If you don't give me that, give me either Anthony Smith versus Johnny Walker or Anthony Smith versus Paul Craig. But my number one for Anthony Lionheart Smith is um, Luke Rockhold. I really, really like that fight a lot. All right. Um, Let's talk about another fight for December 5th. It's a bantamweight bout between Houni Barcelos. And Marab the machine Villy. So when you look at a guy like Marab, it's it's constant wrestling, coming out of Sara Longo, training with guys like Chris Weidman, Jean Valante, um El-Germain, the Funkmaster Sterling. Marab is a guy who's gonna come forward and just look to take you down. He's gonna get you in a clinch. he's gonna he's gonna trip your legs out. He's gonna trip your foot out, use uh, use clinch trips. He's gonna use single leg attempts, double leg attempts, chain takedowns together, relentlessly looking to push you back and take you down. That's the game of marab Devalishvili. When you look at a guy like Howie Barcelos, I said a, I said before he reminds me a lot of a a prime Jose Aldo. I'm not saying he's at the same level of striking, but I do really really like Howie Barcelos. He's good on the ground, good grappling, really good um, submission attempts, good ability to, to catch you on the feet, um, and I, I just really like him. I think uh, I think he can definitely get. Um, he can try, he can give Marab a tough fight. They don't call him the machine for nothing. Marab's going to look to push forward and catch the opponent and knock him out. But Barcelos has that high guard. He'll parry away your jab with the, um, he'll parry away the jab with the rear hand and then come back with his own jab. And, uh, you know, so he's good, but he's got, he's very calm on the feet, very patient. He doesn't really get caught up in a lot of, you know, brawls, and he keeps his hands high, traditional high guard. He'll back up, he'll parry your your jab with the rear hand, come back with his own jab, go with front kicks up the middle. Um, He did catch Khalid Taha and knock him out. Um, He's got a very, very good rear uppercut. He can chain them together. One, two, three. He'll jab, rear uppercut, jab, rear uppercut, jab, rear uppercut. Come over the top of your jab with the right hand. Barcelos is dangerous on the feet against Marab. I think Barcelos gives him a lot of trouble. I think Barcelos has phenomenal jujitsu. I think Mahani Barcelos versus Marab Devalishvili is a phenomenal matchup, and I'm very excited to see where it goes um, he can go for takedown attempts, chain him into guillotine attempts if the opponent tries to sprawl out. Um, good ability to c- catch uh, people in the body lock and take them down. Um, good control on the ground from the back, getting the mount, getting the hooks in. Um, can go for weird submission attempts and just lock you up and, and ride you out and try to take your back and get a sub. His bread and butter is the grappling, but on the feet, man, he he's phenomenal. I would actually favor favor. How Bar- Barcelos to defeat Marab Devalishvili on December 5th? Obviously, I uh, can have predictions up for that later this week, probably on Friday or Thursday. But, uh, yeah, I like that fight a lot. Um, but he's coming off a win over Halid Taha. I believe he finished him with a uh, a right hand. I'm going to try to catch him with a left hook. Oh, okay, that was just like the first round. But he did finish Khalid Taha, and Taha's a tough guy, so that's definitely a feather in the cap of Honey Barcelos. So Barcelos versus Marab, great, great fight. Obviously, the next card up is UFC 256. That's December 12th. We've got the main event for the Flyweight Championship between Davison, Figueiredo, and Brandon Moreno. Then in the co-main event, we got the return of the boogeyman, El Cucuy, Tony Ferguson going up against Charles Dobranc's Oliveira, who's on a seven-fight win streak, which was the same amount of fights that Ferguson was. I think, how long was Tony Ferguson's win streak? Was it seven fights? Or was it like a 12-fight win streak? I think it might have been a 12-fight win streak. I'm wrong. I was wrong on that part. Forgive me. But Ferguson versus Oliveira. This is a phenomenal, phenomenal matchup for the co-main event. If I'm going to give you a brief technical breakdown, you know what Tony Ferguson brings to the table. He's going to come forward and he's going to put the pressure on, and he's going to put the pressure on and push you back. Jabs, crosses, one two, one two, two lead uppercut, a mixture of a hybrid and a lead hook. Um, A mixture of a hybrid between a lead uppercut and a hook. He likes to go with that lead uppercut to the right hand, jab, lead uppercut. Those front kicks and those teeps to the body. Attack with the inside and outside low kicks. He'll roll for the leg locks with the Imanari roll. He just pushes forward and puts pace and pressure on you. And if you get in close, he's going to try to take you to Snapdown City. going to try to get that front headlock, pull your head down, lock you up in that Darst choke and put you to sleep. Um, Land elbows when he's in close. Um, Charles Dubronx Oliveira hasn't fought since March. Um, His last fight was a win over Kevin the Motown Phenom Lee, where Lee shot a sloppy head on the outside single leg. Um, Oliveira locked up the guillotine choke and submitted him. If Oliveira locks you up in a submission, you're in trouble. These are two of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu artists in that 155-pound division. Oliveira versus Ferguson. And, And the thing about Oliveira is that he it has gotten so much better in the striking realm. Now, do I think that Tony Ferguson's pressure and pace is going to get to him? Um, I do, I do think it's going to get to him. I definitely think it's going to get to him. I think it's a very, very tough matchup for him because of the pace and pressure that Ferguson puts on. I'm very excited to see the grappling exchanges between the two. Um, Kevin Lee did pretty well on the ground against Charles Oliveira and was able to, uh, slide out of a lot of leg locks, but the thing with Charles Oliveira is he's constantly attempting submissions. He'll jump with an omoplata. He'll switch it to, uh, and then he'll go try to take your back, get a rear naked choke. He'll chain, uh, then he'll switch and try to roll for a leg lock. He'll try to go for a heel hook. He'll try to go for a knee bar. He'll try to go for a calf slicer and then, uh, lock your legs up in that figure four, pull you back to, uh, destroy your calf. Um, You know, Charles Oliveira's tough. He's got really good jumping front kicks to control the distance and uh, close the range and then get back out of range. He stays very calm when uh, heavy punches and long punches and combinations are coming at him. So I think the long combinations of Tony Ferguson and the fact that Tony Ferguson extends and leaves his chin up in the air, maybe he can get caught by Oliveira. I think there's a good chance Oliveira can catch him and hurt him and probably try to go for a submission. This is a dangerous fight. Do not count out. Charles Oliveira against Tony Ferguson and don't count out Tony Ferguson just because he lost to Justin Gaethje in his last fight and pretty much got dominated. He still dropped Justin Gaethje with that uppercut um, and, and stole the round every other round he lost, but he knows how to take a shot. Now, will the damage he took against Justin Gaethje roll over into his career and he probably cannot take as much damage as he could before. I do believe that's going to happen. I don't think, I think that that Gaethje, Fight took a lot out of Tony Ferguson. I still think Ferguson's one of the best lightweights in the world. I still think Ferguson probably gets this done just with his pace, his pressure, and the volume of strikes that he throws at the opponent. I'm very intrigued to see what the grappling exchanges are like between uh Ferguson and Oliveira because Oliveira's the best jujitsu artist at 155, and Tony Ferguson's right there with him. So it's going to be interesting to see how the transitions on the, in the grappling go, the takedown attempts, the the countering the, the takedown attempts with a guillotine or in Tony Ferguson's, um, wheelhouse countering the takedowns with a snap down in the front headlock to go for the Darce choke. Um, the grappling is what I'm really excited to see on the feet. I do think Oliveira has, has gotten a lot better. I do think his strikes are a lot better. He's got a good overhand, a really good jab, those good front kicks, um, to the body, those jumping front kicks. He'll come in with wild strikes to close the distance and getting close in the clinch. I think it's going to be kind of interesting, but I think Tony Ferguson pieces him up in close range. If, if, uh, Oliveira wants to win, he's got to keep him at a distance and try to go for takedowns and mix up the takedowns and the striking attempts to try to confuse Ferguson. Um, it's a great fight. Probably one of the fights I'm looking forward to the most. And for the co-main event of this card, and then the main event is Figueiredo versus, uh, Brandon Moreno. Um, that's a great fight as well. Um, When you talk about Figueiredo versus Brandon Moreno, I think Moreno definitely gives Figueiredo a run for his money. He's got good takedown defense. He's good on the feet. He's got a wild striking style on the feet, keeping the hands low, kind of like a Figueiredo. They are very similar in their approach to fighting. Um, I think Moreno and Figueiredo are very similar in how they approach it. You know, Moreno will go uh, leave his hands open, slap with that left hook, one, two, pop with the left hook, two, three, One, two, three, four combination strikes. I think the combination striking Mm -hmm. is definitely in the favor of Brandon Moreno. He lands quicker shots, he's definitely quicker. When it comes to uh, landing punches on the feet, I think he's got the quicker hands. That could give Figueiredo a problem. Um, I think if Figueiredo gets a hold of his neck on the ground, he can definitely submit him. Um, But Brandon Moreno's good in the grappling, good in the scrambles. I think he's got better jiu-jitsu than Alex Perez. I think Perez had an advantage in the wrestling, but I think or uh, Moreno has an advantage in terms of the jiu-jitsu game, so it's going to be interesting to see how the grappling plays out. Um, This is probably... Figueiredo's toughest fight at 125 pounds. And judging by the fact they both just fought on uh, November 21st at UFC 255, it's going to be interesting to see how they come in to this fight. Neither of them took much of any damage in their fight, so I'm sure they're going to come in fresh. But uh, back-to-back training camps, are they going to be ready? But Figueiredo versus Moreno, um, I'm excited. Sign me up. And then you've got Junior Dos Santos versus Surreal Gagne. Um, the one thing about JDS is he seems to always find a way to come back and win, but the one place you can't put JDS is back against the cage and against such an elite striker like surreal gone. I think he's going to find a way to, as JDS is in the open, in the open space against in the, in the middle of the cage, I think he's going to poke and prod with that jab. The one to low kicks inside kicks, just pick them apart. And once he circles and cuts angles and angles enough to trap JDS against the cage, I think he goes Bop, pop, pop, with a combination and uh, catches JDS and knocks him out in the second round. I think I'm not, that's not my official official prediction, but I think that surreal gone is a big prospect in that light heavyweight or the heavyweight division. He moves around like a middleweight. He's got good movement, good footwork. I think that's going to stop JDS from being able to set up a lot of his power shots. I think he constantly moves, fakes and feints, pops with the jab, boom, comes over the top and lands a brutal knockout punch on JDS in the second round. Um, Now we've got this fight, Kevin Holland, who obviously had to pull out of this weekend's main event against Hermanson. They threw in Marvin Vittori. Vittori was supposed to fight Jacare on this card at UFC 256. That's not happening, so they threw in Kevin Trailblazer Holland against Jacare Souza. Still a big step up in competition for Kevin, the, the Trailblazer Holland. And going up against Jacare, I think this is the best opportunity for Kevin Holland to defeat a former champion or a former, a former title contender and a former champion in another division, another, uh, was he ever a champion in strike force? I feel like Jacare was the middleweight champion in strike force. Um, and then he lost the belt to Luke Rockhold, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, Kevin Holland, I think he beat Jacare. I think the grappling is definitely in the favor of Jacare. Anybody gets on the ground with Jacare, Susan, unless your name is, uh, Jack Hermanson, you're going to have a problem, but on the feet, you know, Kevin Holland striking has just improved leaps and bounds. Beautiful, traditional martial arts style kicks with roundhouses, front leg side kicks, um, spinning kicks to the body. His punches are very good. He's got a very, very clean one, two, he caught Joaquin Buckley with it and, uh, dropped him in their fight. He's got a good jab, um, just good punches, good head movement. I think on the feet, he outmatches Jacare Souza. I think Jacare is going to try to come in and close the distance and try to rough him up to the body and then transition that into takedown attempts. But I think Holland's, uh, Jiu-Jitsu and stuff is going to be too much for him. I'm leaning towards Kevin Holland to defeat Jacare Souza, but this is another great fight. Then you've got the return of Killer Cub Swanson versus Daniel Pineda. Pineda, I believe, just lost his last fight to Ilya Taporia. I think he lost via decision, but this is a great fight too. I love this fight. Um, I'm a huge fan of Killer Cub, so we'll see how he shows up in this fight. And uh, Pineda's dangerous, man. I'll have, obviously, bigger breakdowns when I get closer to that fight, but... Another fight on the UFC 256 card is Billy Quarantillo versus uh, Gavin Tucker. Um, great fight. Quarantillo's coming off that win over Spike Carlisle in a fight that a lot of people thought Carlisle was going to win. He tended to outgrapple grapple in the first round, but then Quarantillo just uh, put the pace and put the pressure on him and came forward and just doesn't stop coming forward. Quarantillo's a guy who can keep up a pace for 15 minutes, get in your face, rough you up. He's more of a brawler than a technical fighter. He's not the most technical in terms of the grappling and the striking, but he does have good popping his shots. He does have good straight punches and he just puts the pressure on you. He's a pressure fighter and he doesn't stop coming forward and he'll constantly try to rough you up. And he's going up against another guy. I am very, very high on in that um, featherweight division. And that is Gavin Tucker fighting out of Canada, training under uh, Faraz Sahabi at Tristar. Um, His last fight, he defeated um, Justin James via a second-round rear-naked choke. This guy is phenomenal. Phenomenal striking. One of the cleanest strikers I think we have in that featherweight division. And that's saying a lot because we have the likes of, you know, we had Hanato Moikano, we've got Kelvin Cater, we've got Max Holloway, we've got Zabit. I think he's right up there with him, man. I think that uh, Gavin Tucker is a guy who... Nobody really knows because he doesn't fight that often, but he's very, very, very good and uh, a very, very talented guy. So you have to watch out for this guy. He's constantly switching stances. He'll switch from orthodox southpaw, use that switch jab to load up with the, the lead uppercut, which was formerly the rear hand from the right side. He used that against Justin Janes. In their fight, James went with a right hand to a lead left uppercut and dropped Tucker in the first round, and then t- Tucker came back. He was constantly piecing him up. He'll go, one, bop, bop, jab, cross, hook, hook, jab, hook, jab, jab, hook, bop, 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 bop. He'll fake a kick to step in and then throw the kick after he uses the feint. He'll fake the kick, go with the left hook, go with the low kick. He'll fake the kick, fake the kick to step in, bop, bop, bop. He's constantly using fakes and feints, switching stances with those switch jabs and the switch pivots and rolling underneath shots and keeping his hands really low. Kevin Tucker's got swagger, and he's not just good on the feet. He's got good wrestling, good jujitsu. He caught Justin Janes in a rear naked choke, um, switched the grips a lot. He couldn't get it from the left side. He switched to the right side, couldn't get it, switched it back. Um, and he actually caught that after he caught Justin Janes lowering his level, caught him with a step-in knee, dropped him. Um, got that front headlock position, spun to the back, obviously switched the grip, switched the grip, switched the grip on the, on the rear naked choke. But then he ended up locking up the rear naked choke just like GSP did against Bisping where he had it under the chin. He couldn't get the grip where he grabs his own shoulder, so he put the palm to his chest and he slid the glove in behind the head of Justin James, which one, makes it a lot tighter cause and it two, cuts off the space in between the head and the chest and the bicep. And in uh, the forearm, it cuts off the space between the forearm and the back of the opponent's head, so it gives them less space. You slide that in there and you, you squeeze. It's kind of like a uh a bladed rear naked choke, and he got the submission. Um before that, in his debut, he looked very good against Sam Cecilia. I believe he lost one fight in the UFC. Let's see. Um yeah, Tucker. Um, he beat choose choi swaying who by submission in the third round beat Gavin, uh, beat Justin James by submission in the third round. That was my mistake. Um, there's no more of his fights listed on here. Hold on. Let's pull it up. He, as a pro he's 12 and one. Um, and, uh, his nickname is governor. So Gavin, the governor Tucker, uh, he beat, so he lost to Rick Glenn. That was at UFC 215 via decision. But he then before that, in his debut, he beat Sam Cecilia and uh, looked really, really good in that fight. And uh, yeah, I think Gavin Tucker versus Billy Quarantillo is a huge, huge addition to that card. And then obviously after that, we have uh, a fight that's on the main card, which I should have talked about first. And that is a fight between Rafael Fiziev, and uh, who is Peter Jan's striking coach and uh, striking coach at Tiger Muay Thai, going up against a guy who was a top contender in the featherweight division, now moving up to lightweight, coming off a win in his last fight, and that is Hanato Moicano. Um, Fiziev is brilliant. He has good takedown defense, good ability to control the bicep and turn off the cage when opponents try to take him down, good scrambles, good ability to get the body lock and, and put his weight down, hip in, and get the takedowns that way, but his striking is the bread and butter. I was worried about this fight originally because I thought, you know, Moicano very good in terms of the striking. Um, he knows how to land good shots, um, good low kicks, good jabs, um, good low kick to left hook. He's very good. But when I went back and watched Fiziev's debut or Fiziev's last fight, I'm sorry, against Mark Jacasey, who in and of himself is a phenomenal striker. Nobody is quicker when uh, then Mark Chaycey when they fight on the feet, nobody has as much explosiveness against Mark Chaycey. Fiziev beat him to the punch and dominated the fight. He has a beautiful left switch kick to the body, a beautiful rear kick to the body, constantly setting it up. Jab, oh, boom, low kick, fake the right hand, step in, boom, switch kick to the body. Um, good knees. His boxing is phenomenal. One, two, three, uppercut. One uppercut. Pop, pa, 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 pa. He's a phenomenal striker. This is a guy I would love to do a breakdown on on my YouTube channel. And uh, that's probably going to be coming very soon. But yeah, Rafael Fiziev versus Henato Moicano. I think Fiziev could be a top contender at 155 pounds. He's that good. And he's got that good a movement. He's so good at getting just sm- an inch out of the way of your punches. And slipping, slipping and rolling, slipping out of the way of the jab, coming back right hand, left hook, slipping and coming back with the left hook. He's so good at defensively and offensively as well. When you have a guy who's just as good or better defensively than he is offensively with the speed and power and explosiveness of a guy like Rafael Fiziev, there's a reason he's Peter Yan's striking coach. And there's a reason why Peter Yan is currently the bantamweight champion of the world. And uh, yeah, Hanato Moikano versus Rafael fiziev That's your fight of the night, I think, or one of your fights of the night. That the fi- That's the fight I'm looking forward to the most. Um, Aside from Charles Oliveira. No, it probably goes Oliveira and uh, Ferguson. Then Fizzy Evan Moicano. Then Brandon Moreno and uh, Davison Figueiredo. Then Kevin Holland and uh, Jacare. And then JDS versus Surreal Gan. And then uh, Gavin Tucker versus Billy Quarantillo. UFC 256 is a banger of a card. An absolute banger. Phenomenal card. But Fizzy versus Moicano. Man, look out for that one. I think Fiziev's going to catch him and knock him out. Moicano has tended to get caught with uh, punches on the feet. Um, got countered by the Korean zombie. He beat up Kelvin Cater, which is a big win now, considering Kelvin Cater's fighting Max Holloway in January. That's a fight we're going to talk about on the next podcast because I have a lot more fight announcements to go over, but I'm probably going to release another episode tomorrow, and uh, I'll discuss the UFC card on December 19th, uh, the January 16th fight card, the the Conor McGregor Poirier card, and a couple other fight announcements. But yeah, I think that's where we're going to cut it off for today. Um, again, I'm sorry. I was going to talk about more fight announcements, but there's so many, and I don't want to drag out this episode for too long. So uh, that's going to be it for this episode today, guys. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Everybody who tunes into the Touch em Up podcast, thank you. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Get it out to anybody you can, anybody who's a fan of MMA, anybody who's a fan of WWE. There's going to be a lot more professional wrestling talk on the podcast. Um, a lot more predictions, a lot more YouTube videos. I just put up a Sugar Sean O'Malley versus Marlon Chito Vera technical breakdown on my YouTube channel. Check that out. Go to YouTube and search Touch Up Pod with three exclamation points. That's T O U C H, apostrophe E M, U P exclamation, exclamation, or U P. And then POD exclamation, exclamation, exclamation on YouTube. I have a ton of breakdowns up there. Please check those out. More of the audio podcasts are going to be getting uploaded to YouTube because YouTube seems to get more traction than my audio podcasts. And uh, yeah, this is ava- the audio podcast and the touch em up podcast is available anywhere you get your podcast. That includes Apple, uh, Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean. Anywhere you can get your um, podcast, you can listen to the Touch Em Up podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Have a good night, everybody, all right?